Hi, I'm Gianna Volpe, and thank you for listening to The Heart of the East End on WLIWFM, the show where we get to the heart of any matter at hand with folks from all walks of life on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. We stream online at WLIW.org radio and welcome your comments, questions, and collaborations of all kinds on The Heart of the East End. Live from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York, I'm Gianna Volpe with local news on Long Island's only NPR radio station. Concealed firearms will be prohibited from churches, government buildings, bars, and other sensitive zones beginning today under the state's new gun control laws, which include a multi-step process to obtain a concealed carry permit. Michael Gormley reports on Newsday.com that under the laws, applicants for concealed carry permits will have to take 16 hours of classroom instruction on firearm safety and two hours of live firing on target ranges to show they can handle the firearm safely, among other requirements. The new measures, including identifying Times Square as a gun-free zone, are in response to the recent Supreme Court decision that struck down New York's 100-year-old concealed carry law. Governor Kathy Hochul released more details at a news conference yesterday on how permit applicants, firearms owners, and dealers must operate under the new laws. For example, she said anyone who carries a weapon into a gun-free zone will face a Class E felony punishable by one to five years in prison. Police will respond to tips and act on what police call legitimate suspicion to confront those who may violate the law. Hochul said a person with a concealed carry permit could face the felony even if he or she inadvertently carried a gun into sensitive zones. That person also could face revocation of the license and seizure of any and all firearms, rifles, and sh- or shotguns owned, according to the law. Quote, that's why we're launching a massive public relations effort, Hochul said in answer to a Newsday question. We're encouraging any, uh, everyone to follow the law. The law will be very clear to them. We've identified all the parameters of what's legal and what's not. It's on our website, so everyone has a responsibility independent of this to be aware of the laws, to follow the laws, and there's consequences if they don't, end quote. In other news, you do not need ID to buy whipped cream in New York State. Zach Williams reports in the New York Post that a sponsor of the bill with which Cav- uh, Governor Kathy Hochul signed into law late last year, sought to clarify this amid recent confusion by convenience and grocery store owners who believed they were required to ID people buying whipped cream, much as they would alcohol and tobacco. New York State Senator Joe Adabo, the Democrat from Queens, reiterated yesterday that the law bans people under age 21 from buying whipped cream chargers, devices that can be used to fill balloons with nitrous oxide, also known as laughing gas, which is then inhaled for a high. While the devices are visually distinct from the refrigerator case, cans of Ready Whip and other brands mint for tasty treats on the go, rumors nonetheless spread of a ban on the creamy dispensers ubiquitous in stores statewide. Some stores evidently did not get the legislative memo attached to the bill signed into law by Hochul last October, which details how the bill aims to restrict sales of metal uh, cylinders used to abuse nitrous. Quote, nitrous oxide is known to cause hearing loss, liver and kidney damage, limb spasm, central nervous system, or brain damage. 
bone marrow damage, heart failure, or suffocation. Thus, the New York State law banning its sale. On Wednesday, New York Association of Convenience Stores sent an email to its thousands of members across the state declaring for them, you do not need to ID a customer in order to sell them a can of whipped cream. Bringing it home to the heart of Southampton Village, Dr. Chris Gobler has a goal. One day he'd like to be able to swim in Lake Aguam. Sainzies. For anyone familiar with the lake located in the heart of Southampton Village, that seems like a lofty goal indeed. Kaylin Riley reports on 27East.com that in recent decades, the lake has had a reputation for being one of the most highly polluted water bodies in the state and even the entire Northeast. High levels of phosphorus and nitrogen present in the lake have encouraged rapid growth of toxic blue-green algae, which is not only harmful but can be uh, fatal to humans and animals. The algae create biotoxins that, when they were first identified, went by the moniker Fast death factor, according to Dr. Gobler, but the uh, Stony Brook University professor, who's also the director of the New York State Center for Clean Water Technology, Dr. Gobler, along with a group of Southampton Village residents and local government officials, have refused to give up on the lake. In recent years, they've been tackling the problem on multiple fronts in the hopes of restoring it to good health so it can once again be a beautiful natural resource for the community and a centerpiece for the village. The push to restore Lake Agawam to its former glory is part of a wider effort to improve water quality in the village, something that has been a key priority for village mayor Jesse Warren and his administration. The village has received more than $2 million in grant money to improve water quality in both Lake Agawam and Old Town Palm Pond and has applied for millions more in grants from the Southampton Town Community Preservation Fund. Village officials also are optimistic that they will receive funding to install a permeable reactive barrier by Lake Agawam. Uh, those are installed underground and work to remove nitrates from the groundwater before they enter a, bottle, a body of water, in this instance, the lake. Southampton Village also is hoping to receive $5 million in funding from the state for an algae harvester money that would help defray the device's $9 million price tag. Efforts are also being made to secure funding and support at the grassroots level through the Lake Agawam Conservancy, a nonprofit local group. Just to the west of the village, traffic may be moving slowly, but efforts to restore the Cones program at Canoe Place Road in Hampton Bays, which abruptly ceased this past Tuesday, ramped up this week. Kitty Merrill reports on 27East.com that today the Southampton Town Board will hold a hastily called special meeting to authorize Supervisor Jay Schneiderman to sign a new permit from Suffolk County. I feel like I saw the cones this morning. That's weird. The county, which owns that section of Montauk Highway, provided town officials with permits to set the traffic link uh, signal to blink yellow in the morning, thereby allowing traffic to flow better. That was, it says the permit expired, but I saw it this morning. I did also see a, a police officer there, which is, uh, the caveat which allows uh, a poli uh, police or the the light to blink yellow as it was this morning. So this Monday, Southampton Town Highway Superintendent Charles McArdle said the program would be suspended indefinitely. Uh, the caveat, as mentioned, uh, means that the it can blink the lights if there are police officers pre uh, present. And McArdle said, quote, Jay doesn't want to pay for it. End quote. Not so, according to the supervisor. 
I never said I won't pay for traffic control officers, he wrote via text late Monday. Not sure why Charlie is trying to make me the bad guy. I've been pushing for this all along. And quote, just a note, I, I, I think I've seen that state of affairs going on all week. Uh, the, the cones, the lights and uh, the police presence. Efforts by the lawmaker to create a rush hour blinking light program dates back years. The idea first surfaced when the U.S. Uh, Open took place at Shinnecock Hills Golf Course in 2004. During the program, cones were used uh, to add an extra lane to County Road 39 during busy periods. An additional traffic lane was added in 2008, and changing traffic signals along the corridor came up again and again in 2016. Town police first implemented the program at Canoe Place Road last summer, but citing staffing shortages ceased after the season. And finally, uh, President Biden will address the nation from Philadelphia in a speech on American democracy tonight. You can join us here when it happens, right, on WLIWFM for live special coverage from NPR News. Reading the weather in Wardenclyffe in honor of our first guest, Mark Seifer, author of Tesla, Wizard at War, The Genius, The Particle Beam Weapon, and The Pursuit of Power. Looking like a sunny Thursday with a high near 84 degrees. West wind 10 to 14 miles per hour. Gusts as high as 25. Tonight clear with a low around 58 degrees. North wind around 10 miles per hour. Right now, it's 73 degrees, and now you get to know what it sounds like when I read the news without sipping my coffee first. Uh, looking like we're going to be starting this morning's playlist with a little Tom Petty. Wildflowers record, You Don't Know How It Feels. Lucinda Williams, I Don't Know How You're Living on deck after that. Then a band called I Don't Know How... But they found me. New Invention is the name of that track. Abandoned Ship, my one invention on deck after that. I'm Gianna Volpe. You, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to the Heart of the East End, the morning and midnight show featuring music from all decades and genres and interviews with folks from all walks of life on Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Some 
Approaching the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour on Thursday morning, a little after midnight. If you're listening to the replay, and that means it's time for our Thoughtful Thursday segment, underwritten by Green Hill Kitchen. Our guest this morning, Mark Seifer, or Seifer, make sure I want to I want to make sure I say it right. Seifer. Seifer, okay, who is the author of three books about Tesla at this point? Yes. 
So the, your newest one is uh, Tesla Wizard at War, the genius, the particle beam weapon, and the pursuit of power. Super interesting book. I'm loving every minute of it. Uh, it talks quite a bit about Tesla's home in what was then called Wardenclyffe uh, and is now Shoreham. It said that uh, they named it that in 1904, which I believe was the same year that Tesla was sort of kind of imagining the Internet, which is sort of mind-blowing. Am I, am I on point with those things, Mark? Yes. In 1904, he wrote an article. He was trying to get more money from Tim Morgan. And what he says is that, that the Earth would be converted as a brain, as it were, which would feel in all its parts. I don't think anybody could have conceived of the Internet before it happened, but that's pretty darn close to what the Internet was. He was, he had cell phone technology at the turn of the century, and he was hoping that every single uh, person on, on the globe would have their own cell phone, and I'd be able to talk to someone in Australia or, or China or any place as if they're sitting in the same room together. Yeah, that it, was his idea. Unbelievable. And, and, and back then, he's standing holding wireless lighting, uh, as it were, which is something we're still co- sort of grappling uh, to figure out. Uh, this is in a, a man who whose name was almost kind of lost among uh, names like like Einstein and Edison, uh, though he certainly belongs there. Do you think that part of the reason why uh, he was obscure for so long has to do with uh, I, I don't want to s- say that it's mismanagement of money, but it, it seems like uh, there were some missteps. You know, he quickly sold off patents uh, to Westinghouse. Uh, he he had all of these different uh, company ventures made. When when I I wonder if it might have been more successful had he kept it under one company. I mean, you you're a, a, an expert in this man. What are your thoughts uh, about this topic? Well. I think you're right. I think there were two instances where he didn't make the right decision, but you have to remember the heat of the moment. Uh, in the 1890s, there was the War of the Currents, uh, AC, right. backed by Edison and J.P. Morgan. And, I mean, D.C., which was uh, by Edison and Morgan, and AC, which was by was Tesla and Westinghouse. And whoever won the right to harness Niagara Falls, this would be a huge coup. And uh, Edison was electrocuting cats and dogs, a horse, and even an elephant, and getting ace used in the electric chair. So uh, he had a royalty contract with Westinghouse. And Westinghouse says, we can't afford it. We're paying millions of dollars in legal fees. And so, you know, we're going to have to give up on this. <clears throat> and Tesla said, look, I'll get rid of the royalty contract, but you've got to use AC. It's the only way to go. So he ripped his royalty contract. And that was uh, cost him, in today's dollars, I'd say hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, so that was the first instance, really, where he made a huge mistake. Uh, the second mistake was 10 years later when he was building this huge wireless tower out on uh, Shore Long Island, you know, Wardenclyffe. And uh, he built a tower that was supposed to be 90 feet tall to send impulses to uh, Europe. And when he found out that Marconi was stealing his invention using the Tesla coil and admitting it in the wireless and in, in the electrical journals... Tesla decided to double the size of the tower because he figured if he did that, he could get to the Pacific Ocean, he could get to China and Australia as well. And so that even though the the cost of the tower would be double, the revenues would come in at a much greater rate. And so when Morgan found out that Tesla doubled the size of the tower, 
that didn't bode well for him continuing to fund Tesla's investment. And so Tesla basically was blocked to complete the tower, and that's why we did not have uh, cell phone technology at the turn of the century when we would have had Morgan, you know, realized what Tesla was trying to do. Yeah, he did kind of fall for that that bigger or farther is uh, better uh, sort of. Uh, he definitely made that mistake a lot. You, know, you you talk about Edison. He met Kipling, Clemens, Edison, many masters. Which meeting did you find most interesting? Well, I think his relationship to Tom Edison is really intriguing right. because Edison was the Napoleon of invention. Tess was working for Edison in Paris. And I discovered a trip that, that Edison took to Paris that had never been written about before. So they had met in Paris. And then he comes to New York to work for him. And then uh, he's trying to talk Edison into AC. The difference was with DC, you could only send electricity about a mile, power dropping off over distance, which meant that you had to have power stations at every little hamlet across uh, the whole Northeast. There were 3,000 coal-operated power plants at that time, all smoking up into the atmosphere. And Tesla was able to harness alternating current, which was much more efficient, where you could send energy literally hundreds of miles to run factories, um, and it was clean energy because it was running on a waterfall. So he tried to talk Edison into this, but Edison was so rooted in direct current that he couldn't see the importance of, of alternating current. And they got into an argument, and eventually Edison supposedly owed Tesla money, and, and Edison, and so Tesla quit. And then that became more of the currents. Right. Um, but once once the you know Niagara Falls was operating, Edison realized he had made a mistake. And in 1895, there was a fire in Tesla's laboratory. Edison provided him with a laboratory until he was able to build his own. So I think his meetings with Edison are some of the most intriguing of, of all his meetings. Right. The the grid uh, comes <clears throat> comes out of it. You, you talked about work, and I did want to touch a little bit on. Tesla's work ethic, as it were. I mean, this is a man who was working uh, 20 hours a day at, at some points. I, I, I noticed that there was sort of a, a cycle of of him, at least in the in the beginning of the book, talking about him getting uh, sickly. He has a bunch of health breakdowns. Do you do you owe this to his overworking himself, working from 6 a.m. to 11 a.m. at night? I think that was part of it. Um, part of the problem was that electricity by its nature changes its direction of flow. The problem that Tesla was facing in the 18, late 1870s and early 1880s and why everyone was using DC, imagine a river flowing downstream, then upstream, then downstream, then upstream at thousands of times a second and try to make a water wheel go in one direction. That was the problem. So they eliminated the upflow. Um, and instead just use the downflow. Tesla struggled and spent, you know, five years figuring out what became the rotating magnetic field where he used two uh, current phase with each other, did away with the commutator, and then uh, was able to use AC on its own. But right before all that happened, I think he caught a flu. And when you read about it, he said he was able to detect objects with his forehead that he could hear a fly land. But, you know, he was highly sensitive, and he was very sick, and he was close to death. 
And that's when he has this revelation of the rotating magnetic field, which is today's the electrical power grid, which is, you know, it's a clean energy system. It runs on, uh, you know, waterfalls, what he called the wheelwork of nature. So he was very sick at that time. But who ever heard of someone hearing a fly land <laughs> and detecting objects with his forehead? I think, you know, in a sense, his third eye opened up, the pine gland, maybe whatever. And he had a revelation. And people see a mystical side to this uh, because had he not come in at that time, the the uh, atmosphere would be all filled with smoke and, and uh, you know, coal-operated, you know, 3,000 power plants just in the north alone. He did away with all of that. So I think he helped stop global warming way back in the 1880s when, you know, when the invention was uh, announced to the world. He was certainly a big proponent of using alternate forms of energy and uh, trying to take care of the planet uh, when talking about powering the world. Uh, I wanted to talk about the God particle and how it's connected to Tesla's dynamic theory of gravity. That's a great question. Um, it took me many years. You know, I've been at this for 40 years, and uh, I wrote Wizard of Life and Times of Nikola Tesla and then followed up with this new book called Tesla, Wizard at War. And one of the things I wanted to deal with in there was Tesla's dynamic theory of gravity. He had met um, Joseph Alsop in the 1930s, and he said to Alsop, he was a reporter, that the sun was absorbing, was radiating more energy then it was, I'm sorry, the sun was absorbing more energy than it was radiating. The sun was absorbing more energy than it was radiating. That seemed crazy to me because the sun produce, produces so much power. And so I thought about it, and I began to understand that his dynamic theory of gravity is what he secretly told Alsop. Al was uh, Corinne Robinson's grandson, and Corinne Robinson was Teddy Roosevelt's sister. So Alsop was connected to, to Teddy Roosevelt and Franklin Roosevelt, so he told this guy a secret. It's very hard to figure out Tesla's dynamic theory of gravity. Yeah, can, you, can, you, can you, can you uh, yeah. just explain it in layman's terms? Yes. When we jump up, why do we go back to the Earth? Um, I thought we were attracted to the Earth. That's not what Tesla's theory is. Tesla, Tesla resurrected the ether, that we need some primary uh, fundamental of space that's, um, that all matter is absorbing ether all the time. So that's what the God particle is. It's the particle that gives matter its mass. It's not a particle. It's a process. So the reason why we fall back to the Earth when we jump up is because the Earth is absorbing ether. Uh, all physical matter is absorbing ether. And we're in the way of, the in of this influx. That's what, that's what gravity is, according to him, and has a direct relationship to uh, the God particle. Is it something that is being looked at uh, nowadays? Because you were, I remember, uh, was, it, was it this paper, was that part of the paper that you had been chasing for the longest time and, and, and it ended up um, being, being presented one day when you, you showed up at a conference? Was th was this what that was, or or did that have to do with his his death ray technology? No, it was uh, the dynamic theory of gravity. I figured all that out in uh, 2010, and I gave a lecture at at Wardenclyffe, and one guy was you know, screaming at me in the back. He was saying, you know, there is no ether, but the Higgs boson, the you know Higgs just renamed the ether. He co they called it the Higgs field, 
and they're looking for a particle, but it's not a particle. It's an ongoing process. All of matter is absorbing etheric energy all the time. The other aspect of all this, and I get into this in the book, that, that the ether is operating in the tachyonic realm faster than the speed of light. It's probably an AC current, um, and that's why we can't detect it. It's uh, you know, oscillating back and forth at a very rapid rate, and it's providing the energy which produces physical the physical universe, what we call physical matter, which happens to be mostly space. So that's really, you know, what I was doing. Uh, Interesting in stuff. So talking te- theories of tes- of Nikola Tesla uh, with Mark uh, Seifer, the author of Tesla, Wizard at War, the genius, the particle beam weapon and the pursuit of power. Before I let you go, can you? I know that you didn't really uh, get to know Tesla until you were in college, but can you talk a little bit about the connection between you, at least uh, locationally, when you were just a kid? Yeah, I went to the University of Chicago, uh, got a master's degree there. Right across the street from my dorm was the Science uh, Museum from the original 1893 Chicago World's Fair. And I didn't realize that, t- I, I, didn't, I never heard of Tesla at that time. Um, and what happened was, uh, when he was fighting against Edison, Westinghouse took a million-dollar loss to leave the Chicago World's Fair of 1893, and he used the Tesla system and advertised the Tesla system. So Tesla was world-famous once Niagara Falls was uh, harnessed. But after a while, the, the Tesla motor and the Tesla AC polyphase system became the Westinghouse AC polyphase system. Right. So I didn't know. I knew Westinghouse's name. But once I learned about Tesla, I realized that I had been working, you know, you know, going to college at the university there. I went on the midway where the giant Ferris wheel had been. So that was really, the, you know, the deep connection that I had, uh, which I just, I just didn't know. It well, was not the first to mention, city ever lit by, by the Tesla system. And you, you used to swim as a kid uh, not far from where he lived. That's right. As a kid, I grew up in a West Hempstead. I think the Tesla uh, life story is the quintessential Long Island story because he builds this world wireless tower, uh, which unfortunately is never completed, right next to Wading River. And as a kid, we used to go to Wading River every year, and I'd be swimming in the Long Island Sound literally a couple hundred feet from Tesla's house where he used to have his remote control boat on, in Long Island Sound, which he would, you know, operate from on up up on high. And I know, I know a lot of people that know that area around Shoreham, big cliff there, and you have to walk down about 40 steps to get to the, the beach. So I spent many summers swimming, you know, walking distance from Wardenclyffe and never heard of him until I was, you know, in about 28 years old. And, of course, his remote-controlled boat, another example of his genius. Uh, very grateful to you, Mark, for Having joined us, you just heard the Thoughtful Thursday segment here on Long Island's only NPR radio station underwritten by Green Hill Kitchen. Mark Cipher's Tesla Wizard at War is out now. You can find it. Uh, just ask at any of your favorite local bookstore. If they don't have it, they will order it for you, I'm sure. I'm Gianna Volpe. Uh, this is a band called I Don't Know How, But They Found Me. It's called New Invention from the Razzmatazz record of 2020. And you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
Invention to my one invention, and then Johann Sebastian Bach's invention number one in C major, performed by Keith Scott after this track by Abandoned Ship, my one invention from the Happy Endings record of 2006. We are nearing the ending of the first half of the show this morning, 15 minutes before the NPR news break at the top of the hour, and the next local news update. Uh, looks like after invention number one, we've got all my inventions from an artist called My Life as Ali Thomas, or Ali Thomas, all summer from the invention of flight after that. And we've got some summer songs, particularly focused on summer ending. I am wearing my white pants for one of the last mornings ahead of Labor Day, though sometimes I break that rule because, you know, why not? Sometimes you gotta. I'm Jenna Volpe. This is Abandoned Ship, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, 88.3 on the FM dial throughout eastern Long Island and coastal Connecticut, 96.9 in central and western Suffolk, streaming online at WLIW.org slash radio.
Life as a Lee Thomas. Five more minutes or six, five and a half <laughs> to be precise. We've got the invention of flight all summer and Sarah Kang and I love Brandon. Summer is for falling in love, leading you into the NPR news break. You're on the heart. Of the love that we 
Drive along an ocean reflecting the sun Or make a bed of green atop a wide open sea Under a canvas of blue I would draw ever nearer to you To feel the dew on your skin That is how it would begin For summer is for falling in love We could stay out late Until the sun sets past eight And the cotton candy haze Mirrors the warmth of your gaze Raise your glass to mine And as we drink so we could disregard the thought of ever having to part For summer is for falling in
With Long Island local news, I'm Gianna Volpe on WLIWFM. Union membership on Long Island surpassed pre-pandemic levels last year, bucking a long-term national trend of continued decline and outpacing New York City. A new report shows the data comes amid a surge of union organizing efforts locally and nationally, particularly by workers in retail, traditionally a non-union industry. Victor Ocasio reports on Newsday.com that last year, an estimated 26.5% of employed Long Islanders, or 336,246 workers, were in a union, according to a Hofstra University report released this week. Membership on Long Island was 24.5% in 2019, according to the report, which calculated membership estimates using data from the current population uh, survey, a report produced by the Census Bureau and the Federal Bureau of Labor Statistics. Quote, the fact that Long Island has managed to hold fairly steady with its unionization and actually increase union membership is a really interesting sign of resilience. That's report author Gregory DeFritis, Hofstra uh, economics professor and director of the university's Center for the Study of Labor and Democracy. He said that Long Island has historically maintained its membership rate at around 25 percent, due in large part to NASA and Suffolk's high number of unionized government workers. Between 2019 and 2021, an average of 16.1 percent of private sector employees on Long Island were in a union, compared to 68.1 percent of public sector workers, according to his analysis. Ryan Stanton, executive director of the Long Island Federation of Labor, said younger workers are likely to continue the trend of organizing their workplaces as years of wage wage stagnation and high levels of college debt have made them frustrated with working conditions. Quote, we have a highly educated workforce that's fed up. That's Stanton, 34, who took over the top post at the labor organization in January after longtime leader Roger Clayman, 71, stepped down. Quote, they're skilled, they're educated, they're knowledgeable, and they have an economic framework that's been rewritten while they were following the proposed path to prosperity. He said, the nature of work may change. However, ultimately, people's desire and need to provide for their family doesn't go away. And quote, in West Hampton Beach, the village has roused from the COVID shutdown to a revitalized downtown with new streets, new sidewalks, traffic circles, landscaping, native planting, even new energy-efficient bulbs for streetlights. And Kitty Merrill reports on 27East.com that the response has been wholeheartedly positive. Quote, it's universally loved, uh, Ben Vengroff said, who opened his Red Jacket books on Main Street in 2020. It's more inviting. With an abundance of visitors wandering along Main Street this summer, walk-in traffic has been huge. He said, quote, it's definitely very busy. There are more people downtown, and we've been very lucky with the weather on weekends. The bookstore uh, owner said, Joanna Mazella, who opened her mint clothing boutique on Main Street about 15 years ago, agreed, quote, it's been a great season so far. New 
customers and repeat business. People have responded very well to the Main Street renovation. It looks like a town right out of a movie. She raved. And speaking of the shop's location across the street from the West Hampton Beach Performing Arts Center added, we have the best corner. Quote, every company, they're doing well and they're happy. Marlene Brill, the president of the board of the Greater West Hampton Cha- uh, Chamber of Commerce, uh, who said also people saw the increase in population out here, full-time population, the increase in schools, and people realized business would just do better. There's more people around. And finally, the developers of South Fork Wind will hold a virtual open house on September 12th to walk East Hampton residents through the final and most technical phase of the installation of the onshore sections of the wind farms power cable work that will start this fall and run through the winter. Michael Wright reports on 27east.com that those who wish to participate in the live event, which starts at 6 p.m., can register at southforkwindvirtual.com. Last spring, crews working for the project's developers, Orsted Eversource, installed the cable conduits beneath two miles of town roadways beneath uh, between the Beach Lane lot and the LIRR tracks on Wayne Scott Northwest Road. This summer, they've been installing conduit along the railroad tracks from Wayne Scott Northwest to the LIPA substation in Cove Hollow, where a new substation is being constructed specifically to handle the 130 megawatts of power that the wind farm is expected to generate. Starting this month, a cable will be drawn from the substation through the conduit toward Beach Lane. The primary component of the work, however, will commence in early October, which is the drilling of the conduit tunnel beneath the ocean beach and the Atlantic seafloor. The uh, turbines themselves are to be constructed starting next spring, and the wind farm is forecast to come online by the end of 2023. The South Fork Wind Farm virtual open house regarding fall and winter drilling is scheduled for Monday, September 12th. That is... uh, in just a couple of weeks at 6 p.m. or less than two weeks, as it were. Reading the weather here in Southampton in honor of Broadway's Jessica Vosk joining us to talk about tonight's Summerfest celebration at the bottom of the hour for the Hot Sounds segment underwritten by William Riss Gallery. Of course, Summerfest uh, is a fundraiser for the Southampton Arts Center, a celebration where they raise a third of their uh, yearly funds. So it's an important one. Looking like a sunny Thursday with a high near 83 degrees west wind around 14 miles per hour with gusts as high as 25 miles per hour. Tonight mostly clear with a low around 58 degrees north wind around 10 miles per hour. Right now it's 76 degrees. We're getting to the summer's end tracks, but first a couple of uh, tracks leading up to it. Sophie Tucker's Summer in New York. Brooke Alex's Summer in the Hamptons featuring Lack Honey and Lana Del Rey's Summertime Sadness from the Born to Die record of 2012. Before we get to the summer end tracks, I'm Gianna Volpe and you are listening to the Morning and Midnight show featuring music from all decades and genres as well as folks from all walks of life. All because of you, the listener supporter of Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. I've got no destination and I'm sipping on my tea I've got all day long just to walk down the street I start on 2nd Avenue making my way downtown to you Maybe I'll make a stop at Bang Bang, get my 
myself a new tattoo Then I found me a secret garden And I sit down with my book But I'm not planning on reading I'm just here to have a look At people in and out of stores Maybe she's an entrepreneur Maybe he just got off a tour The many characters of summer in New York Pulled up to the party Saw her through a window when he got up off the Harley High heels and a sunburn He begged for her number Love at first sight, damn it's so classic Straight out of the movies trying to find that kind of magic The kind that takes one kiss I bet it hits different Doesn't anybody wanna love like that? Doesn't anybody wanna go away back? Cycle, said she liked to bounce up. She said she liked Toy Story, some books I can't pronounce. No. She got aura that she walking with that energy announced her. And she ten toes down, she know that I can't live without her. Yeah. I'm out in watermill with that girl that's worth a million. Told me on the rail, it's been a minute since I felt something like it. That's just how I deal with crisis. Oh, yeah, baby, put that water in my eyes. Doesn't anybody wanna love like that? Doesn't anybody wanna go away? Yes. 
anybody wanna? John Prine and the Foo Fighters, as well as Goth Babe and Vacationer, of course, our conversation with Jessica Vosk, all in your listening future. But first, Lana Del Rey, Summertime Sadness, from the Born to Die record of 2012, right here on Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Kiss me hard before you go Summertime sadness I just wanted you to know That baby, you're the best I got my red dress on tonight Dancing in the dark in the pale moonlight Throw my hair up real big beauty queen style I'm feeling alive Oh my god I feel it in the air Telephone wires Above or sizzling like a snare Honey, I'm on fire I feel it everywhere Nothing scares me anymore Kiss me hard before you go Feeling electric tonight Cruising down the coast Going about 99 Got my bad baby By my heavenly side I know if I go I'll die happy tonight Oh my god I feel it Yeah. 
Goth Babes End Summer. As we approach the end of summer, celebrating Summerfest tonight at 6 p.m. at Southampton Arts Center. 
Joining us to talk more about tonight's festivities is the one and only Jessica Vosk. Uh, it is the William Riss Gallery underwritten hot sights and sounds segment at the bottom of the 10 o'clock hour, just after 1 o'clock. If you're listening to the replay, welcome to the heart, Jessica. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for being with us and for performing tonight at Southampton Arts Center. Uh, very excited about you coming out. Are you already out here with us? Oh, I am. Yes, I, I am enjoying the absolutely gorgeous weather. I, I just love coming out to the Hamptons whenever I get the chance and be here for this particular reason is just it's kind of epic, really. It's a wonderful way to end the summer. Well, we're happy to have you out with us. I want to talk a little bit about, of course, your role as Alfaba of um, the, or the Wicked Witch of the West, as it were, uh, from Wicked. I have never had the chance to see Wicked, but I was looking it up, uh, like looking up a little bit about it this morning. And what a fascinating story behind the Wicked Witch of the West can you tell us a little bit about your connection to Alfaba and uh, to this role in Wicked? Oh, sure. Gosh, what a what a great um, like you said, what a great show it is. I mean, Wicked is is technically you know what happened before you know what happened before the the red shoes were taken from by Dorothy from the Wicked Witch, and uh, it it sort of follows the story of of two young girls um, meeting each other at in school coming up together and figuring out kind of where their power lies and and one of those witches is uh is Alphaba and she uh she's the one that you know is is green she's the only one who doesn't look like everybody else and she has an affinity for um you know for trying to save the world and and doing so you know in her own special way which which can be confusing to the outside world and, and very othering and for her, you know, it's a she cares so deeply about about the things most important to her that she's willing to go sort of to the ends of the earth to to make those things happen, even if everybody doesn't understand them. So, I kind of really understood for myself uh, to to say, you know, how can I use my voice to to maybe help people who who feel like they can't use their own, right? And I, I try to take on a lot of responsibility in that way and going, you know, this is an amazing story, which which I love to see. And it's been running for so long. And the, and the story is is beautiful and right there. But if we go down and, and sort of try and understand the depth of this of this character who feels uh, who feels so misunderstood and, and of course, takes on the, the word wicked. Right. Uh, you know, when she really isn't isn't so wicked after all is kind of is something that 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 I can understand, you know, I think we, we all know what it's like to feel misunderstood sometimes. Right. So, so I sort of took that uh, and ran with it and I had the best time in the world. I mean, I think I did it for two years. You know, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, the last few years, we've gotten a lot of these uh, vil like complicating the villain and really looking into oh. how a villain is made, you know, Maleficent or Cruella de Vil, uh, obviously Alphaba. Uh, as well as as some male uh, villains as well, I, I think it's it's really yeah. it's really interesting humanizing uh, these people and and looking into how a villain is made or created rather than born. Oh yeah, I mean you know you you really if you sort of look into the making of you know insert villain here, it's kind of 
it's interesting to see how a lot of that making has nothing to do with the villain themselves. Right. And it has a lot to do with rhetoric and and the people around and right their their society that they're that they're dealing with and uh you know sometimes it's the cards that you're dealt and you know other times it's it's the things around you that are pushing you into these uh into these boxes and it happens to be you know you know those quotes that you see all the time you know if you're if you want to make me the villain okay I'll be a villain right um so so it is it's a really really complex thing and I think there's a reason that we are so curious to see, you know, again, the the making of or how did this villain grow up or where did they truly come from? That kind of, you know, that kind of information is, I think, as humans, we are just naturally curious about that kind of stuff. And we want to see kind of where something came from uh, and how it got there. And I think Wicked is a beautiful story of how of how everyone around you is able to either by word of mouth or these days we have, we have all of this social media at our fingertips that, you know, people can take something and run with it and it can go viral so quickly. And, you know, it might not even necessarily be the truth, right? but it's pretty, uh, you know, it's pretty sexy information to take it and run with it. So um, I think these kinds of stories highlight that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, it's never been sort of easier to take a shot at someone uh, but I just, oh yeah, I want to, I want to just put out there, guys, because I, you know, I, I, I scroll about just like any anyone else, and um, it seems like there there is this um, currency in in finding the most clever way to insult someone, and I and I I would just like to uh, put it out there. Maybe choose kindness next time you're going to ah, leave a comment. Yeah. Uh, about somebody yeah. you know I remember I used to I used to say being in school you know of course you know you get bullied in grade school and high school and when I was in in grade school and high school we we never had our we never had phones we didn't have anything at our fingertips to do things behind a, a keyboard or uh or any of that kind of stuff and and bullying it's in person it was pretty awful and and now there's all of the capability to do it in private right and uh, and that's something that I also took on when I when I took on that show was, you know, life has changed so much for kids right now or, pe- you know, really, it's not just kids. It's, it's also us adults. And we, we find ourselves listening to information sometimes directed at us and we don't even know who the people are who are directing it at us. Right. And it still stings. So I do. um I'm a big proponent of of choosing kindness too, because sometimes it feels like the more difficult thing to do when you want to punch back. But I think it's the healthier thing to do. Yeah, and it and it and it shows it definitely. Um, you're a role model, no matter what behavior you choose. Has that been a part of your story? I mean, as a performer, putting yourself out there, it's sort of inherent to get to get bullied in one way or another, uh, or or picked on. Can you talk a little bit about? Uh, becoming a performer and, and ways that you pushed through that if it's something that you did have to deal with or continue to? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, you know, when you choose to to be a more public entity, that, that sort of comes with the territory, especially right. these days. And, you know, when I became a – when I decided to, to go for Broadway, I mean, I was in a completely different career. I worked in finance. So I decided to leave – That's huge. Uh, huge switch. A corporate – 
Sorry, say again. That's a huge switch. It is. It's a massive pivot. Um, and uh, <clears throat> so when I left that corporate world and I went into the Broadway community and I, you know, I'm the person who didn't happen to go to conservatory or or right or go to school with with the people who who did so and and were on Broadway at the time so there's there's sort of that kind of uh you, you get that pushed at you and then you get just sort of the impossible resentment of, resentment you know, is the word that I would say because yeah. uh, I remember yes, I remember great. winning I won an <laughs> award once a, a writing award in college and I remember the English department students very much resented that here's this journalism student that is winning an award that's that's uh, something that is that is something so um, uh, revered and, and, and sought after by the English department kids. Precisely. And, you know, sometimes, you know, when you're dealing with it from your peers and people you already know, that can be really difficult. Right. And after you reach, you know, these pillars of, of whatever success might look like for you personally, then you have the public. And so people are going to take the opportunity to try and rip things apart just because they can. So there's, you know, there's quite a thick skinned mentality to, to being a singer, to being a performer, to being an actor, uh, and to building a, building this life that I've created. And, uh, and that can be, that can be tricky. Um, And so, knowing that is sort of half the battle when you, when you kind of have to remind yourself that, you know, feelings aren't necessarily facts. Right. And you do have to, it's a constant reminder because as an actor, what is it that we do? Our job is to wear our heart on our sleeve. It's to be vulnerable. It's to take somebody on a journey. It's to whatever medium that you're using, television, film, theater, uh, a recording studio. It's our job to make the listener, to make the viewer feel uh, feel seen, feel uh, some sort of camaraderie with what it is that we're bringing you story-wise. And so it's our job to remain completely open and vulnerable. And I think it's such a superpower that sometimes, you know, we as the artist can to forget because other the, the other, you know, things coming at you in the world uh, can be so vicious sometimes. And our job is to remain completely open, which can be which can be even more difficult when all of that stuff comes at you. Because if you put your walls up, then it'll come in your performance. Amen. So it, it's a double-edged sword. But, it's, but you know, it's, it's an absolutely doable thing. Do I think it's, it's easy? I do not think it's easy. I will never tell anybody that, that this path is, is, a, is an easy one. It's certainly not. Um, and, and it gets harder the more that you do. But it's, it's a really reminder to sometimes ground yourself and and, remi- and remind yourself how how lucky we are to get to do this. You know, what a beautiful way to segue into the importance of tonight's Summerfest at Southampton Arts yeah. Center. Artists, performers, create in a world where some just want to see things burn. They create, they make mm. for you out there hoping in their way to encourage you to choose kindness or create yourself. So Summerfest tonight, 6 p.m. at Southampton Arts Center. They raise a third of the money uh, for operating every year at this event tonight. You can find out more information at org. Before I let you go, 
Jessica, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to make sure is said ahead of Summerfest tonight? Um, well, you know, I do. I do just want to say I had the I had the opportunity last night, uh, which was sort of romantic under the stars, to see the Southampton Art Center uh, in all its glory at nighttime before before the event happens today, and and to really talk to you know one of the founders, Simone Levinson, about about how this was put together, and and it reminds me of the power of of community and people who really come together. There's not just one person who's responsible for putting the Southampton Arts Center together. It comes from a lot of people who love getting community together through art, whether it's an artist or it's a founder or it's somebody who happens to live in Southampton and has been here for generations. I mean, it's, it's a really beautiful thing to, to watch and to take in. So I feel so lucky to get to, to be a part of this uh, fest tonight I'm I'm kind of uh, I'm it's a pinch me moment to get to do something like this um, with an organization that truly understands what it is to to bravely put art out in the world. So I can't wait to see um, everybody there tonight, and I can't wait to sort of uh, go on the adventure. I'm psyched. Amen. Jessica Vosk will be performing tonight at Summerfest at the Southampton Arts Center, as mentioned. SouthamptonArtsCenter.org. For more information, I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Jessica Vosk. This is Vacationer, and you just heard the Hot Sights and Sounds segment underwritten by William Risk Gallery right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, the morning and midnight show, The Heart of the East End.
Summer's in around the bend just flying. The swimming suits are on the line just drying. I'll meet you there for our conversation. I hope I didn't ruin your whole vacation. Well, you never know how far from home you'll be until you've watched the shadows cross the ceiling. Well, I don't know, but I can see it snowing in your car. The windows are wide open. Just come on home. Come on home. No, you don't have to be alone. Just come on home. Valentine's break hearts and minds at random. Battle Easter eggs ain't got a leg to stand on. Well, I can see that you can't win for trying. And New Year's Eve is bound to leave you crying. Come on home. Come on home. No, you don't have to. Stars hang out in bars just talking. I still love that picture of us walking. Just like that old house we thought was haunted. Summer's in came faster than we wanted. Come on home. Come on home. No, you don't have to be alone. Come on home. Come on home. You don't have to be alone. Just come on home. All right, so here's the good news about these summer end tracks. Although it feels like it's around the bend with Tumbleweed Tuesday coming at us next week we out here already know we've still got two months of summer left really i'm gianna volpe that was the one and only john prine summer's end from the tree of forgiveness record from 2018 i've got another 2018 track uh, coming up in a bit from the front bottoms which is a hilarious name for a band end of summer now i know a single from 2018 we will Hop back in time. Uh, well, actually, it'll be going forward in time because this track will precede it. Uh, a band called Theory of a Dead Man from the Scars and Souvenirs record of 2008. Another end of the summer 
kind of track. But first, Foo Fighters from their 2007 record Echoes, Silence, Patience, and Grace, Summer's End, right here on Long Island's only NPR radio station, just ahead of the end of this edition of The Heart. I do want to give a deep bow to Mark Seifer and Jessica Vosk, our guests this morning, as well as our underwriters, Green Hill Kitchen and William Riss Gallery, and you, all of the listener supporters of WLIWFM out there listening, even if you are a first-time listener, we welcome you to the family uh, and to the heart of the East End.
All right, it's time for that single decade jump forward. You know what? We don't even have enough time. So I'm going to actually jump over Theory of a Dead Man's End of the Summer. Uh, you can find it on the playlist on today's post on the Heart of the East End program page on WLIW.org slash radio if you're really that curious. Otherwise, I'm going to lead you into the end of the show and the top of the hour uh, NPR news break with End of Summer Now I Know a 2018 single from the front bottoms. I'm Gianna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome, and you're listening to Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. I'll even give you a little, a little smack of one of my favorite Beach Boys track, leading you into the NPR news break from their endless summer record with the warmth of the sun. After this, end of summer on WLIWFM.
Jana Volpe signing off for the morning. Wishing you all endless summers and warm sun. Now until, hey, end of time.